You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary VTW, void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus welcome back to conversations from away my name is Aaron Michael Ray I'm your host and today we have two wonderful guests joining us uh, we first have the lovely Cynthia Cortman-Westfall, who is joining us today. Cynthia was recently our music director for the Come From Away tour, and Cynthia was originally part of the original company of The Lion King on Broadway as an associate MD, conductor, and keys, and her other Broadway credits include A Christmas Story, Fascinating Rhythm, and Miss Saigon. And Cynthia is currently on faculty at the University of Michigan in the musical theater department. Welcome, Cynthia. Hi, Erin. Thanks for having me. Of course. I'm so glad you're here. And our other guest today is Pascal Floristal, who is an educator, director, dramaturg, and writer who's currently an assistant professor at the Boston Conservatory. Uh, Pascal is based in Boston and has worked at theater companies such as Huntington Theater Company, The Theater Offensive, Speakeasy Stage Company, and many more. Pascal, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Aaron. So great to be here. So we are going to be getting into theater education today. And I was really excited to get into this because I feel like we talked a lot in our last episodes just about what the industry is right now, what, you know, as performers, as musicians, as uh, stage management, as, you know, everything within the industry currently as it is. And I really wanted to make sure we have an episode where we kind of go back to the roots and go back to our theater education, because I feel like in our industry, you know, for the things that we've been talking about and for the things that we want to see change or we haven't seen change, we always go back to, well, what was college like or what was our education like? And then, you know, go from there. So I'm really excited to have these two amazing professors with us today. Now, I want to start by just asking you both, Pascal, I'll start with you. Uh, Did you go to school for theater and where did you go? Yes. So I did go to school for theater. I went to Ithaca College where I received my bachelor's of arts in theater studies. Um, And while I was at Ithaca, I also had an opportunity to go abroad uh, my junior year. And Ithaca has a great uh, study abroad program where you can go to their London center. So it's like you go to Ithaca in London. So I spent my fall semester in London studying theater, seeing theater, learning about theater. And then in the spring, I went to the National Theater Institute at the Eugene O'Neill Theater, 
where I got to do a conservatory like program for 14 weeks and I eat, I, I slept and ate and read theater every day uh, for 14 weeks. So it was a very intensive program. So that's kind of where my educational background comes from. Wow. I love that you went to London. I, I love that city very much. They do everything better. <laughs> <laughs> I truly believe that. I really believe that. Um, so what about you, Cynthia? Where did you, did you go to school for theater or did you go to school for music? What? I did Where not did go for go? theater. I Theater was not even on my radar at all. I went to um, college and then my master's are both in classical piano performance. So I was a complete uh, classical nerd and snob. <laughs> That's, I mean, I'll, I won't lie. I sort of looked down on it uh, in undergrad and then I sort of started getting a you know, I, I started waking up to it in grad school a little bit, what theater was, but I didn't even see my first Broadway show until I moved to New York after grad school. And I moved to New York to be an opera wow. coach, not theater. So I took a huge pivot once I moved to New York. Wow. I think I've actually heard that a lot with people who come from the classical music world and transition to theater that musical theater is always like, you know, looked down upon and that kind of thing. And and I find that so interesting because they're so close yeah. together as it is, especially opera and theater. That to me, like, it's all theater, yes. whether you like, whether you like it or not. But that's, that's just my That's, that's a whole nother podcast <laughs> episode. <laughs> that is, that's a whole other episode right there. So both of you have so something I really love about both of you is that you both have an abundant amount of professional experience outside of being educators um, from, you know, from Pascal, from you directing at regional theaters and to Cynthia, you conducting on Broadway. So how has that helped become the educator that you are today? Oh, I think that's such a great question. I I think one of the things that I've been so grateful for all the experiences that I've had professionally is being able to learn from the artists in the room and then bringing that information to my students. And I think, you know, some of the most important things you'll learn as, as you move through this world as an artist, especially a theater artist is in the practical space that you create the work. Um, and I, and I, some of my favorite teachers have been, you know, the people I've assisted, directed, you know, I, recently worked with Timothy Douglas on an amazing show at Merrimack Repertory Theater. And it was one of my favorite experiences, just being able to listen and watch him do what he does and then be able to take that into my own work and figure out what works for me and my students. And I think that really helps my students and other young people understand what are the tools and skills they can gather from me and then take to the room and figure out how else they can share it. Cause theater is such a collaborative process. Um, and I think that's what makes it so important to have that professional experience to give and understand. And it gets, I think students to really see what their possibilities could be like, what is that experience um, looking like for them or what they should at least admire for that for themselves. Wow. I love that. What about you, Cynthia? What is, nice. how has your, how has your professional experience helped you as an educator in the classroom? Well, I'll, I'll echo what Pascal said, yes, to all of what she just said. Um, and I would add, um, I mean, I've worked 
now kind of at every level. I've done community theater. I've done regional theater. I've done summer stock theater. I've done Broadway theater. I've done national tours. I've really kind of done everything except a cruise ship, which is still like on my list, believe it or not. <laughs> but that's another story. I gave up a job on a cruise ship that I still have regret over, but never mind. Um, but the point is, I think what all of that has helped me realize is the difference between all of these different um, kinds of theater is really just money. I've, I've worked with amazing, amazing artists at, at literally every level that I've ever worked at. And the only difference tends to be money. There's more money in a Broadway mm. show than there is in your local community theater. But that doesn't mean there's not still amazing work done. And it doesn't mean you're not working with amazing artists. So one of the things I try to um, talk to my students about is, just, you know, we can get really easily into this fixated thing that it has to be Broadway or it has to be a national tour yes. when really there is some incredible theater and, and perhaps even some more interesting theater happening a little bit on the outskirts, you know, where it's not mm -hmm. a, a mainstream Broadway show. So, um, yeah, just that there are, are many places and opportunities to be an artist. It's not just the Broadway. I really love that you said that, especially from, you know, coming from both of y'all teaching at very prestigious, you know, universities for, for theater and musical theater. Um, I just think that like, when we're, you know, when we're all in college or grad, in my case, went to grad school for theater, it's always Broadway or bust. It's like, yes. I only want a Broadway credit. I only want a tour or whatever, but like my favorite shows have been either regionally or off Broadway. And, you know, like those are the experiences that really mean something. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Pascal was there for one of those experiences. Um, <laughs> just a quick little shout out to Pascal. Um, she was my assistant director when we did the Scottsboro Boys at Speakeasy Stage Company. Um, also come from away alum, Delon Grant yes, was in this production. the boys. Shout out to Delon. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I also really love that both of y'all as teachers are still plugged in to the industry because I feel like, you know, like there's nothing wrong with, you know, some educators that are good at educating if they haven't had a lot of professional experiences, but it only helps you if you're so adjacent to it or still in it. And I think in my theater education, I had a lot of uh, professors that some of them, well, I shouldn't say a lot. Some of them were just kind of outdated. Like they didn't, they weren't immediately plugged into, you know, what's happening in New York when a lot of us were getting ready to move there to really pursue this. Or even, even in Boston, when um, I, so I went to school in Boston and like, there's such a big theater scene there. Pascal obviously knows this. And you know, I feel like even in the Boston world and the Boston theater scene, like I had a lot of teachers that just weren't quite plugged in. And it, it as a student, you never want to feel like, um, actually, mm -hmm. I think you're not correct about this. But I love that both of you are very active and still heavily involved in this industry in a lot of ways. And I just think that is such a big factor in being a good educator in this industry. Mm -hmm. So I want to ask y'all, 
Uh, Cynthia, I'll start with you. Are you seeing your classrooms become more and more diverse? If not, why do you think that is? Yeah, well, yes, we are seeing, well, it depends how you frame that question. In terms of our student body, yes. We are mm -hmm. absolutely getting more diverse. We have work to do still, but yes, much improvement going. Our faculty, not so easy, <laughs> you know? Um, so Michael McElroy is actually joining our faculty this year, which is fantastic, but he will be the Whoa. one and only black member of our faculty. We have a very, very white faculty. Um, we have an incredible faculty, but um, you know, it, it, it starts to feel even more apparent, the more diverse our student body gets, the more the faculty starts to feel not. So um, one thing that, you know, we, we work really hard to bring in a lot of guests, a lot of guest artists, a lot of um, uh, projects that, you know, someone can come in for a couple weeks and work with our students. So we're trying to bridge that gap of our faculty by bringing in a lot of industry guests to help bridge it. But um, yeah, we're, I'm seeing more and more. Um, what I, what I feel like we're still not seeing more and more of is sort of the pipeline to the auditions that, yes, I think we're accepting a more diverse group of students. I don't necessarily feel like we're seeing a much more diverse group of students apply for the, the slots in our program. So I think we have a lot of work to do uh, in the education prior to college to get the you know that pipeline working earlier that's very interesting um pascal what, what about you are your classrooms becoming more diverse uh i i, I want to say maybe yes and maybe i think uh they are i think what's interesting and i don't know cynthia if you've experienced this but i know i've experienced it in my undergrad experience as well is they start to get diverse but the problem is getting them to graduation. I think so often um, the financial hardship for a lot of the students who come into the school uh, it is, is, is difficult for them. And so we may have an incoming class that is very diverse, but by the time they're seniors, there's not that many left, if that makes sense. Um, but I, I think, you know, in the, the most recent years for Boco, it has become more diverse, um, which is so great. And the faculty as well, in the year that I have been hired, they've also hired more faculty of color. And we just have, we just hired a assistant chair to the department, um, Jermaine Hill from Chicago, uh, which is so exciting to have someone, a full-time staff member who is a black man in music and plays the piano, such a thing we don't really see, especially in our industry. Yes. So that's really exciting. Um, and I think, you know, I've had students in the, not even just at Boco, but in other experience, looking at, looking to me to help them with getting more recommendations for scholarships to continue their learning. And I think that's also the biggest, you know, hurdle for a lot of students who are coming to these, coming to schools like, you know, the Boston Conservatory that are expensive. They are very expensive schools. And how are we as an institution, you know, giving these young people an opportunity to come and stay and be able to afford to stay? And I think that's a big conversation that's happening. Um, and I think that's something that I'm, really interested in seeing more of and 
and finding out more ways. And I think this, the conservatory is definitely looking into it, but it's hard. And I think that's what makes it even more difficult to have diverse students, especially in these conservatory-like programs that are far away maybe for certain students or might be, you know, it's always interesting for me to see students from like Boston Arts Academy come to Boca, which is right, right you next know, door. right next door yeah. to them. And yet they, they may struggle to continue to be in the school or not. Uh, not all of them are struggling, but I think that's, it's a, it's a difficult program. Um, and I think that that makes it harder for them as well. Um, but I, I definitely think there's, there, we are going towards the right way. And there's been a big reckoning um, at BOCO in not only curriculum wise, but how we work and the environment in which we teach, which I'm really grateful to be up in, in that time. Um, I'm curious what it would be like for me to teach, you know, five years ago, but or now. So I think that's been an yeah. interesting thing to come in and hear from the students and from the faculty and, and learn, you know, I still feel very, I feel like I'm a freshman still. Um, but it's been such a great experience being there. I love that. I, so I went to Boston conservatory as well for grad school, got my MFA there. And at the time there was, it was pretty much all white staff and that's kind of how it is. And still a lot of places. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm so, I also want to give a shout out to Scott Edmiston at Boston Conservatory because he, you know, when, during 2020, when, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement was really up and it was a big, big, you know, it still is a very big organization and is still very active, just so Mm -hmm. we're clear on that. Um, You know, we, uh, something I really loved was that we as like some of the black alumni from the Boston Conservatory in the theater departments, like we all just kind of got together and we were saying like, you know, we really want to just make sure that we like, we really want to make sure that the new students that are coming in are actually reflecting the industry that we want to see, mm-hmm. you know? And like we, it was more so about just kind of like protecting you know, the name of the school, but also just like, let's catch up with what we're supposed to be doing. And Scott Edmiston reached out to almost all of us. And yeah. like, I remember having a Zoom meeting with him and like, there was a lot of things I very much was like, this needs to change this, and this. you know, like <laughs> I was like letting him have it in a yes. lot of ways. And I love Scott, we've worked together, you know, but I, but at the same time he was, he was listening to everything and receiving every single thing that I was saying. And it gave me his undivided attention. And I told him like a big thing too, is when we think about the admissions for these big programs, it's like, you know, everybody can audition. Right. But like, if you're, for example, auditioning for the university of Michigan and you're from, you know, Florida or something. And even a flight is just like, because maybe you're auditioning for like a million other schools where you also have to fly to those schools to audition. Yeah. Right. Well, and on top of that, there's, there's often an admission fee just to apply to a school. And as we know, our programs are all so small, you know, we only accept 20. So we always tell incoming students cast a very wide net, make sure you're auditioning at many, many places because the, you know, yeah. it's just, it's a numbers game. 
But if you, right. so it's not uncommon for people to apply to 15 or 20 places. And if it's a hundred dollar admission fee for every school, you could be up to $1,500, $2,000, and you haven't even begun your travel and your flights right. and your hotels. It is hugely expensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I, some that a big thing that I told him was, you know, just like, I was, I was saying, you know, these people who really want to audition for these schools, like, let's try to find a way to make it accessible just so they can audition or right. like, you know, maybe that we can skip the pre-screen or something like that and just get them in the room and do, do that. Like those are the kinds of steps you really have to make. If you want to really diversify programs, you right. have to make it accessible for everyone. Yes, exactly. And that, and I'm just so glad that he was really listening to me for that. And I am just really excited for, you know, for Pascal as a teacher at that school and, you know, this new, um, the, this other assistant chairs who you were saying, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Like, that's so exciting to me because when I was there, there was no such thing. There was no such thing as any staff of color or people of color or right. just any kind of diversity at that school. So I'm really excited. That just makes me feel like, you know, there's movement happening. There's, and we always talk about, we always talk about on this show, like, or on this podcast that, you know, all these changes that we talk about, we really want to see. And we're like very anxious to see that, but it's going to take some time. It's going to take a few years before we can really feel like everything that we talked about in 2020 or before is actually reflected on stage, in classrooms, backstage, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So I'm just, I'm really glad that like, both of y'all are helping in that for yeah. movement. I would, can I just throw Try. out one more place where I think we're, I would yes. I'd be curious Pascal's take on this as well. I know the other place when we talk about diversity in education, uh, can we talk about the canon for a moment? The traditional MD yes. canon. Yes. Is very not diverse. Either yeah. gender or... <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. there, you know, so um, I think that's another huge area we need to grow in because as our student bodies become more diverse, if we're still asking them to only be doing works by white guys, that's also problematic. So, um, <laughs> but again, you know, there's, there's a bit of a, like, we need new material and we need to discover right. old material that didn't get seen back when it was written and that's a it's a huge job to start mining all of that new material it's very easy to just fall back on the same shows that we've always studied and do the same scenes we've always done so it takes a real effort and a real commitment to diversify the rep as as much as we're working to diversify our student bodies and our faculties Oh, preach, Cynthia. This is a whole <laughs> TED talk right here. But I think I totally agree. And I and I think what's been exciting for for me coming into Boco this time is there there has been a lot of conversation about how are we decolonizing our our syllabi, our 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 curriculum. And you know, I, I'm I think I'm I think me and myself like that is what I do inherently. Uh, and I would I would love to take a crack at it for musical theater. Uh, I'm mostly in the in the play world, the new play development world. Um, but I, I think that is definitely something I'm so excited to see more of because there is a lot of new work coming out that I think is 
has been wanting to be a part of that canon or has not gotten the attention that other shows have. And so what does that mean? I think, you know, Scott's Rare Boys is a great example. That show was not, that show was on Broadway for like a month. And, a minute. Um, such a quick minute. And I'm so grateful that we are one of the few regional productions that has ever happened. And that and has outlasted so well. the Broadway production, which right. is so crazy to me. Right. And it's such a, and you know, it's a Kender and Ab musical, like all of the, there's so much to unpack about that. And I think it just shows, you know, the, the lack in understanding of, of the other kinds of work that has been so important to the canon and needs to be just as representative. So, uh, that, yes, a whole other podcast y'all, but I'm here for it. Yes. <laughs> Um, so with that, we are going to take a little break. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. All right, welcome back. Um, so, we, I, I loved where our conversation picked off, and I just want to keep going with that. Um, so also, you know, we talked about the diversity in classrooms and going back to when you were a student, really just in general, it doesn't even have to be necessarily your theater or music education, but have you ever had any professors of color in your education experience? Uh, and I'm just very curious about this because I thought about this. I honestly had to ask myself this yesterday, like, wait, how many how many professors of color like have I ever had? Because I can genuinely say in high school, I had two and I went to a very big high school. Wow. Where my graduating class was over 700 people. Um, right. Went to a very, very big high school. And then, in, but the, what's crazy is like in college, I like undergrad, I went to Berkeley College of Music in Boston and that is the most diverse place I have ever been in in my life. It was because people come from all over the world to learn mm -hmm. and to educate there. And so I had teachers from all over. I had like every classroom was just like the, the diversity as far as, you know, culturally or gender diversity or queer diversity. Like it was, it was unmatched. I've never been in a place that was as diverse as that school. And then I went to grad school and that was a lot different. And so that was a shock for me. But even mm. still, like if I don't count college, I think 
I may have had less than five teachers of color. But what about you, Pascal? I got a zero. Wow. Oh, sorry. I jumped the gun and I answered the question, but mine's easy. It's zero. You, you have a zero? No, go Cynthia? ahead, Cynthia. Zero. High school, wow. college, grad school, zero. Wow, that's so interesting. Um, <laughs> so I grew up in I grew up in Miami, Florida, North Miami Beach, not like South Beach, but very close. Um, so my high school was predominantly of color, um, and I had a, I had a lot of teachers of color. Actually, I think I only had like one white teacher. No, two. My math teacher, wow. my science teacher, um, but but most of my other teachers were of color, um, which was an interesting experience for me uh, because, like I said, my high school was completely like there were way more black people than I've ever experienced. Um, And then I went to Ithaca college and I had two professors of color out of my four years there. And even when I went abroad and went to NTI, I had no professors of color um, at any, not one guest artist was of color, uh, which is very different now. So I I appreciate that NTI has come far, but 10 years ago, not one. Um, And one of one of my black professors was Cynthia Henderson, who is an amazing acting teacher and director at Ithaca. And I I actually sought her out. I didn't have to take her class because I was a BA, um, not a BFA, which is very different. Um, and so I took acting, I think, four with her my senior year, which I didn't have to. It was an elective, um, but I, I wanted to learn more from her. And then I took a. Uh, an African diaspora class and a hip hop cultures class from the same professor, Sean Eversley Bradwell, who I love. Um, and the weird thing about Ithaca, though it is a small, tiny little school and so white, is they have this amazing department called, uh, I think it's like the CSRCRE. It's like culture and race and equity. Uh, and there's so many classes to take. Um, from that department. And I was so excited to do that. Um, but those are my only professors that I ever experienced who are of color and coming from a predominantly, uh, you know, black and Haitian school to Ithaca was a huge culture shock for me to go from, uh, from being, you know, I was the student of color who like a lot of my black friends didn't think I was black because I was fair skinned. I spoke a more articulate as people like to tell us when we don't only speak uh, in slang or Ebonics, as they like to say. Um, And then I went to a college where I was one of, I think in my entire class of, I think there were like 40 of us in the theater department. I think there was only three of us who were of color. Um, And Jasmine Bonner, who also works at, in Boston theater scene, we both went to school together. Uh, So it's, it was a small group. Uh, So it was very interesting for me to, to then go to Boco and be one of the new professors of color when I've very rarely have experienced it. And so much of the work that I've done, especially if it's black centered has been with other white artists. Like my first time experiencing August Wilson was at the O'Neill with a lot of white teachers. And then I taught August Wilson at the Huntington theater being one of the only staff of color teaching August Wilson. Uh, so it's been an interesting dynamic for me moving in this space um, and, you know, being a queer woman of color. Uh, that's always, that's been a very interesting experience teaching in Boston public schools and, you know, being young and also students finding out I'm queer is always a time. <laughs> so it's, it's been great to be a Boco where it's a different experience there where everyone is an adult and there's more of an understanding of what that world is like. And I think just like you said, there is a very uh, large diversity of, of gender and, and LGBTQIA representation in that community. So it's, 
it feels a little bit more uh, at home than I've been in, in some other spaces where I, I may be experiencing more people of color, but there aren't as many LGBTQIA representatives in that in that regard. Yeah, that's that's really interesting, and I I feel like I think that's so especially for you to come from Miami, which is like such an amazing and diverse city. So culturally just rich, yeah. rich in so much culture there. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think to go from that to then go to a very, you know, white school, like that's such a shift. And I can definitely relate to that in a lot of ways. So I just, I applaud you for keep on keeping on um, because, you know, that's, that's an adjustment. And I just think that that's, I think that's really awesome. It's going to be a play one day. So just get ready for it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready for it. I know, I know you're writing it. I know, <laughs> I, I see it. I see the vision. <laughs> yes. Um. So what is something I, I really wanted to ask both of you this. Uh, what is one thing that, you've learned as a student in any of your scholastic experiences, what is something you've learned as a student that you've carried with you as an educator that you feel like because of this experience, like maybe this is why I teach or maybe, you know, because of this one thing, like I never want students to experience this or I always want students to experience this. What is is that thing, Um, Cynthia? Sure. Yeah. Um, Gosh, I'm going to actually say uh, safety in all its forms. (laughs) It's something I didn't have in college myself. And there were not organizations and departments dedicated to student safety in all its forms back when I was in school, which is now 30 years ago. Uh, so there's a lot of things in place now, but um, but we don't learn well when we don't feel safe for whatever reason it is. If you don't feel safe in a space, you cannot learn. It's just so simple. So um, even though I can't necessarily understand what each of my individual students is going through or, you know, I can't completely understand what everybody's individual experience is or their background is. I do know the feeling of not feeling safe. And I do know, I do know the feeling of not feeling safe and still trying to learn. And that is just a terrible combination. So that is one thing I feel like you can be a great teacher. You can have great material. You can be doing all the great things, but if your students don't feel safe in the classroom, there's not good learning happening. So that, that I guess matter. would be the main thing yeah. that I mm. <laughs> learned from my own experience. Ooh, love that. Okay. Yes. What about you, oh, Pascal? I love that. Um, I think it's a combination of a couple things. There, there's a uh, there's this thing at the O'Neill as I, I wear the, I'm wearing the shirt um, that they say <laughs> at NTI uh, risk fail risk again. Um, And when I was teaching at uh, the theater offensive uh, with Harold Stewart, he introduced me to Adrian Maria Brown, who's an amazing writer and facilitator and um, work developer. And she has this amazing book called Emergent Strategies. And one of the things she says in it is always a lesson, never a failure. And I think I really wished I learned more about being okay with failure 
um, in college. I think I learned it like towards the tail end of it, like right as I was about to graduate. And it took me a long time, I think until like the last few years to be okay with it. Um, and I think so often, I feel like in theater school where it's always say yes to everything and be in the room, do your best to like, to be as perfect and successful. Um, and I think we forget how important it is to make the mistakes you make and learn from them and then keep going. Um, and that it's okay to fail. Um, and there's nothing wrong with failure. And I think so often students, I know me as a, as a person who felt that she had to be the perfect A student, uh, failure was never a part of my idea, my identity ever. Um, and I think so much more, I try to remind my students that we're going to make mistakes together. We're going to fail together, but we're going to move together to get through it. Um, Cause I think that's the hardest thing is to get up and say, yes, I made a mistake, but how do I get back to it? How do I move forward in it? Um, Cause that's, that's what being an art, being an artist is all about is taking a risk and hoping it works. And if it doesn't, what's the next thing you're going to do to keep going. Um, and I think that's, that's something I try to remind my students, no matter what we do. Um, and I think that also goes with being safe in the space. You can't, if you're not safe in the space that you're creating, you can't make those mistakes. You don't feel like you can try and be your full self. Um, so it's harder for you to bring that to your work. Um, but yeah, so always a lesson, never a failure. I really love okay. that. I, I love, I love both of your responses because that's so important to, that first of all, safety is just that should just be a number one. That Basic. should be set from the jump of any educational experience, no matter what industry you're in. Who like that doesn't even matter. Safety is number one. We had a whole mm -hmm. episode about rehearsal safety. So like yes. you know that's we're very big on that here at Conversations from Away. <laughs> um, yeah, but but also I mean I think I love that you talked about just risking like that word and just saying like, if you risk and you fail, then risk again. And like, I think that's such, that's something that like, I've never heard before. And I'm, I'm really going to marinate on that too, just because especially as performers, it's like, I'm going to make this choice today in this performance. And if it doesn't go well, then okay, maybe we'll, we'll just, we'll just try something else, you know, right. like in rehearsal, right. make whatever. A discovery. Like, that's what it's all for. And right. And I think like, it's really important to maintain that. And so I, I haven't, I do love teaching. And when I get any experience to educate or be a teacher, whether it's just for a master class or for like a summer camp or something like that, I always love it. And I think that to answer this question myself of something that I've always carried with me as a student, like, I think it's just so important to really really make sure the students feel seen mm -hmm. because in my grad school experience you know I was the only black person in my class and as an actor or just as a performer all of my teachers like I felt like they really didn't believe me when I told them like no I actually do this or I can't do this or mm. I can do that like it was always like, I always felt like, you know, as a black, they only saw me as like a black man who sings, mm -hmm. you know? And so they right. would only want to give me black rep and, you know, like black monologues and all of these kind of things. And it's like, okay, yes. And like, I do more than just like being black is not a type. I learned right. that in grad school. 
I learned Mm -hmm. that being black is not a type. We are not a monolith as we, you know, as we always say. And so like, I was constantly at war with a lot of my teachers saying like, okay, like, yes, I understand you want me to do this, but like, you're not seeing what I actually can do. Like I can do more or I can do this or I can whatever. And I was constantly trying to feel like I'd have to prove myself to say like, I really can or can't do this. Um, And so I think now when I go into moments where I'm educating or I'm, you know, kind of like doing a masterclass or anything like that, I always try to make sure that like every single student that I work Mm. with, even if it's for a day, like I really see all of them because, you know, because like even, even when it came to, you know, doing certain roles like for just for class or things like that like you know it would they would only want me to do things that were very close to my type and it's like especially in a classroom setting it's like let's play with that let's just experiment let's do random stuff like I want to really stretch you know and so that's something that's very important to me as an educator Yes, yes, I love that. I do that with my scene study class. Like that is a lot of my ethos in what I teach in scene study. I choose scenes and things that you all may never play because so often people are cast as a specific thing. So let's do something. Like I did a, a scene from Eurydice last semester and I had a black student play Orpheus and a non-binary student play Eurydice and that was their favorite scene. Like, would we ever see that on Broadway? I don't know, but why not do it in class? Cause we can. Cause you can. And yeah, and that's, that's the beauty of like any educational experience, especially with shows too. You know, like even if you're doing, you know, the main stage show, whatever that is, like it's okay to kind of go outside the box and say like, we don't really know if this person really would do this professionally, but this is an educational institution. So why not? But I think that's also where you have to lay the groundwork because unless we start doing it as educators, it's the people that we're educating that become the next generation of creative teams on the Broadway. So if we can say it, then perhaps we will see it on Broadway when those students move on into their professional career. Yes. And and that's the other thing that's really that puts the pressure on as educators in especially at the institutions that y'all teach at because you know students are so impressionable mm-hmm. and if you say you know like this is how the industry is then they're going to take that with them for the rest of their careers whatever they do and right. so you know it's always just like finding that balance of like making sure yes we can play and experiment in things but also like when I tell you this is how the industry really is, this is how the industry really is. So I, yeah, I love that. Um, I just have one more question for y'all. Um, and going, so going back to a new school year after a year and some change of Zoom University, what are you excited about most with getting in the classroom again? Also, are y'all getting in in-person class? again i'm assuming i am i think i think so i think so yeah we're we're we do have a mask mandate so um there's a few things still up in the air in terms of studio teaching and people wearing that you know it's 
tough to do a voice lesson when someone's got a mask on their face, but, uh, you know, and performers too, I, we have a mask mandate for all our classes right now. So all of our singers will have to have a mask on when they sing. So we're trying to, you know, find the clear masks and the singing masks and the things that can make us be able to work, but just being back in the room together again is, is going to be great. I was, I was actually really proud of our whole department last year. I thought we all, did some really good work on Zoom. We maximized our Zoom time. I feel like we did some good stuff, a lot of growth, but you know, there's really nothing like being in person live in the room. Of course. So, so true. Yeah, I think we're going back in person. I believe there was talk of no mask, but testing for sure. But I think that might be changing. I think there was just an email that said that we might be going back to mask for certain kinds of classes, I believe. So it's still an up in the air, but you know, I think one of the things that I learned uh, last semester being in person and socially distanced and mass was that I can teach a scene study class mass and it's not that bad, um, which was great because I love teaching scene study. So I'm really excited to go back and do it again. I think, you know, one of the things that I'm excited about for, for the class is to just get the opportunity to you know, look at new work. Like I said, I'm a big new work fan. Um, and I really love exposing the students to what's going on now. What are plays that they may not know of, or they may, they may be interested in, but may not get that opportunity to do. Cause so often we don't see that, especially I think here in Boston. Um, so just being able to like do some new work and, and look at some plays that maybe they are, they, they feel seen. And that's, that's a lot of something I really try my hardest with every class I teach is that they feel represented in the work that they're doing and it makes them more excited about continuing it on. Um, Yeah. And being in person in the room, like that's the best, like, you know, that's the best time to be in the room. Yeah. And especially with just any kind of theater class, you know, like, you said this earlier, you know, theater is completely collaborative. It is, you can't do it by yourself. So, you know, like I, my, my favorite memories of just of school was like, you know, especially in theater, it was just doing it all together, being in the same Mm -hmm. room. And it's so crazy, especially before this pandemic that like we took that for granted because (laughs) we've never gone through something like this. So it's it's gonna be a really big gift when we can all like come back together and safely and you know just keep doing what we love to do. For sure. Well, I think that's a great place to leave today. Um, thank I want to give a very special thank you to Cynthia and Pascal for joining this episode today. I am just so in love with you both, and I'm very glad that y'all are able to join us for this episode. So thank you both. Thank you, Erin, for having us. Yes, thank you so much for having us. It was so great. Of course. And this is our last episode for season one. Uh, But who knows? Maybe you'll see us in the fall for season two. Who knows? I I think you might, though. But anyways, thank you once again for listening. And we will see you next time.
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.